Uh, but some of you may uh, be more up with the times, uh, what's going on, and you may have uh, recently uh, come across a quite of a heartwarming story uh, for what uh, is, is, at least for, uh, for most of us here, uh, the hope being a heartwarming time of year. We're in the Christmas season. So there's this story of this little boy named Timothy who is uh, growing up in the Philippines uh, who was sponsored by someone through Compassion International, someone in the United States. And they received this letter. Uh, say so he received this letter which read these words. Dear Timothy, I want to be your new pen pal. I'm an old man, 77 years old, but I love kids. And though we have not met, I love you already. I live in Texas. I will write you from time to time. Good luck, George Walker. Does anybody know the circumstances around this letter before I reveal? No? Interesting. Well, Timothy found out ten years later, after receiving multiple letters, that his pen pal was actually President George H. Walker Bush. And he was stunned. All those years he'd been receiving letters from George Walker, uh, and really uh, who he was actually receiving letters from was president, the 41st president of the United States, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush. And he said when he found out who this person truly was, his life was radically changed. Radically changed. It changed the whole nature of the communication. To receive a letter from someone as high in terms of honor and dignity as a United States president, uh, especially uh, George Bush, um, was stunned. He, it just changed, he, he was stunned. It changed his life. Knowing who his pen pal truly was became a life-changing reality for him. That's basically what we've been talking about over the last two or three weeks in this series called Sent. That when we truly know who Jesus is, that it becomes for us a life-changing reality. It alters everything about who we are and our destiny. That there's something unique and significant about Jesus coming into the world, which is what Christmas is all about. But it's the nature of Jesus which makes Christmas unique. It's Jesus' nature. And I think so many of us come with preconceived notions about who Jesus is. And what we've been trying to do is, again, reinforce some things, yes, that we already know. But for sure, we've been trying to uh, dig a little deeper and help us deepen our understanding of who Jesus truly is, or else we'll never really have a true uh, joy and experience of what Christmas really is, right? The nature of Christmas is tied to the nature of Jesus Christ. And so here we are today, we continue today and tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock, here at the church, 
Mike Becker is going to be continuing in, in John chapter 12. But today we're in John chapter 8, so open up. John chapter 8, 21 through 30. Who is Jesus? A life-changing reality that we must face. An eternity-altering truth that we must grapple with here today. John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. Follow along with me, please. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, well, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You hear this often here. In this meal, we celebrate a death. Imagine just saying that randomly in some other place. Well, we're eating together. Let's celebrate death. Seems like a very odd thing to say, doesn't it? A little morbid. But each week when we come to the Lord's table... In this context, those words carry great meaning in life. So when we hear words, we must understand them what? In their context, lest we are completely uh, off track on what is being said. And so we read these words of Jesus, and they come in the midst of a particular passage of Scripture, chapter 7 and 8. We must understand, at least to some degree, the context of what's going on so that we understand what's taking place in 21 through 30. So Jesus, in chapter 7 and 8, if you look back, just kind of skim through, we see that Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at the Feast of Booths. He's celebrating this uh, meal during the year of the Jewish year. Uh, and 820 says that he's in the temple. He's teaching in the treasury. Okay, so he's in Jerusalem. He's at the Feast of Booths. Many have gathered. They're celebrating during the year. There's many different responses 
to who Jesus is. So there's this dialogue back and forth, and there's a lot of division going on. There's some people that are calling him the prophet. There's some people that want to make him king. There's other people that are picking up stones. Some people are believing him. Some think, people think he's crazy. From the Messiah to madman, there's tons of division. And what's happening is there's conflict, and it's escalating. Who is this Jesus? Is he someone that we should worship or someone that we should kill? Tons of division. So the context, the tone of the passage, the tone of what's going on in the story, it's very intense. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of division. It's very intense. It's heavy. Many times it's sharp. Even as you read those words, they're heavy words, sharp words. There's confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the Jewish people. A lot going on as he approaches his Passion Week. So there's a lot going on here. The tone is conflicted. It's heavy. It's intense. Don't miss that. And some of you are thinking, well, who in the world picked this text for Christmas? Right? Like, the tone of the season is comfort and joy. Right? A lot of laughter and hugging. So who picks a passage like this? I don't have any idea. I didn't see this one coming, to be quite honest. So we give God the praise. Right? We're looking through the themes of these passages in the unity of being sent. We see how God is working his word and his will into even the way the scripture passages are selected. That got me thinking, does it really fit? Does it really fit to go heavy and sharp the day, two days before Christmas? And part of me thinks that it's perfect because so many of us have heard this time and time again. And the, the gift language has grown dull. Right? The gift language has grown dull. And as we engage this passage, I'm hoping that the, the joy of the gift is heightened because we see the other side of what Jesus coming into the world really does. It warns us. It confronts us. And it corrects us. How can we know the joy of salvation if we do not understand the nature of the danger that we're in? How can we experience love if we do not understand God's total and hatred of sin? So I think for us, it may be a, a new opportunity for us to, to understand the warmth and wonder of Christmas by heeding a warning that Jesus gives us today. The, the comfort that comes from Christmas that we're about to share physically with family. And I understand that many of us, and I want to be insensitive, don't experience that during the holiday time. And holidays can be very difficult. But I pray that as you hear about Christ and the gospel, and you hear these warnings and corrections and confrontations, that even now, your hope and your joy and your comfort and warmth would come from Christ, who speaks to us today with heavy words, sharp words from this passage. So what does he say? He warns the Pharisees, time is running out. Time is running out. The window is closing. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. And by the way, where I'm going, you can't go there. You're going to die in your sins. Wow. Where I'm going... You cannot come. 
you are going to die in your sins. And they say, what does, what does this mean, where I'm going? You can't come. It's almost like they totally missed the warning, like as if it doesn't even apply to them. What does he mean by where I'm going, you cannot come? Is, it, is he going to kill himself? Right? This was brought up before in a previous chapter. What do you mean, where, where I'm going, you cannot come? Is he, is he going to go with a dispersion? Is he going to leave the area and go, with, and, and go teach the Greeks somewhere else? What does he mean, where I'm going, you cannot come? They're not, it's not registering at all. It's not hitting home. It's like they didn't even hear, you're going to die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come, is a massive problem for you. You need to be where I am. My presence in the world is God's intervention in human history. But understand this, I'm not going to be here for long. The time is running short. The window is closing. I'm leaving. And you're going to die in your sin. It's a problem that I'm not going to be present with you anymore. You're not going to have direct contact with Jesus anymore. They don't seem to get it. And yet Jesus is warning them. He's warning them, you will die in your sin. Many ways he's getting at the consequences of sin. Death, right? Should we be surprised by this? Should we be surprised by the fact that Jesus is talking about sin that causes death? I mean, if we go back to the start of the story, the, the start of the scriptures, do we not come face to face with the reality that back in the beginning of time, that God was made it very simple. If you eat of this, you will surely die. And they disobeyed God's command. And what happened? They died. Not just physically, but spiritually. And Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the fact that we are dead in sin. That that is the nature of death. Death is being in sin and the nature of death is being separated from God. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Dead in sin. Separate from Christ. Separate from God. Unable to get to him. He's inaccessible. Where he is in heaven, you will die in your sin. Death came into the world because of what happened in the garden. Death came. And death stayed. And this, of course, is a death because of our sin. We're dead in our sins. So what he's saying in this warning is take heed to the reality that your sin is no small matter. It is an eternal issue that must be dealt with lest you die in it irreversibly when I'm gone. And I think for so many of us, we don't like to talk about this, especially around Christmas. We don't want to deal with the fact that we, in and of ourselves, apart from Christ, are dead in our sin. We have no life in us. Yes, we're walking around. We're experiencing this world around us. But truth be told, in the deepest part of our soul, we are zombies. We are dead spiritually. And that when Christ warns us, we should take heed to this warning of what sin is and what it causes, the consequences of it. And it is no small matter. We may feel like we're alive in this world, but apart from the presence of Christ in our life, we are dead 
Walking dead people. That's who we are. And so we must come face to face with the reality of death. That is not just a physical thing. That is a spiritual thing where we are separate from the presence of Christ. Where I am going, you cannot come because of your sin, your rebellion, your idolatry, your disobedience. It is not just the things that you do, but it is who you are by nature because of the original sin, because of the fall of humanity. Let us heed Christ's warning today, this Christmas. And so here we see the Christ that we celebrate this Christmas warns us of a death that is caused by sin. Heed the warning today. Christ's warning that he gives us. And even us, even now, as we await the second coming of Jesus. Right? He's no longer here. He's with the Father. We await his second coming. We recognize that, that for us who do not know or, or trust in Christ, or for those around us that we know who do not know and trust in Christ, the window of time is closing. We should feel a heaviness about that. We should feel an urgency about the window of time closing when he returns. Not as some... Uh, it seemed to be like to the to the physical eye blind like we don't really see we don't really understand it we can't perceive he's just a marginal galilean peasant as somebody uh, in church history used to call him just jesus of nazareth no when he comes again he will come on a horse with a sword piercing eyes in all of his glory and when he comes there will be no longer an opportunity for repentance and faith. The window of time is closing. So with all these priorities that we have in suburban, uh, uh, middle to upper class America of what life should be about, maybe we should put on the priority list warning people about the reality of death that's caused by sin. I was convicted by that. The list that I make every day, do I put on there gracious warning? of a lost world that does not know Jesus and will suffer the consequences and will die in their sin. Is that a part of my daily goals? Is my life structured that people would come to know Jesus Christ every day? Do I live with a sense of urgency of that? Am I making excuses all the time about being honest and relational and we don't want to force it? Like, what am I doing that's creating excuses and barriers to me warning people about the dead, the death that comes because of sin. I'll stop there. Bottom line, death is real. It's personal. It's caused by sin. Therefore, each and every one of us needs life. That's Christmas. We celebrate life. But the, the beauty of that is only against the backdrop of death Christ at Christmas that we celebrate warns us of a real death caused by sin and then he goes on to confront unbelief the Christ that we celebrate on Christmas confronts our unbelief he says I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins he says it again unless you believe 
unless you believe. There's only one escape of a death caused by sin, and it is faith. You must believe. Unless you believe, there's no other way. There's no work. There's no merit. Unless you believe, that is the only escape to death into life. Unless you believe, sola fide, faith alone. Unless you believe, not unless you believe and do these things. It is only belief, sola fide, faith alone. End of story. Jesus said it. Unless you believe, so believe. Believe, trust, rely. Have confidence in. Believe. But not just in anything. There's something specific that must be believed. There's something specific. Oh, that sounds like exclusivity. Yes, it is. There's only one way unto salvation. There's only one escape. Not just belief itself, but belief in something very specific. Or you will die in your sins. I was watching Deal or No Deal a couple nights ago. Oh, yes, I was. I turned it on, Doreen, and we're just flipping like, oh, let's watch Deal or No Deal, right? It's a Christmas special. Like, he's got the bow tie on, and he just got an offer, $333,000. It's only two, two suitcases left, right? Guess what they are? Five bucks or 750 Gs. The phone call comes in, and he's, what is he, uh, believe, we believe, we believe. And everyone's saying, take it, take it, 333,000 on a 50% chance of five bucks or 750,000. Are you kidding me? I was, take the deal, take the deal. But he's like, no, no, my mama beat cancer on chance, he says. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. he says not misquoting him nothing i want to be insensitive to people who've suffered from cancer it's not my it's not what i'm trying to get at his wife said lucky number 10 he picked number 10 that was your number babe that was your number i support you no matter what the crowd's like howie mandel's like $333,000 and your offer this is your last deal. And he takes that thing. No deal. And everyone's like, this guy's an idiot. 333000 But still, you're holding out hope. Maybe chance will work. Maybe fate. Maybe it's lucky number 10. Maybe this guy, we're going to clap for him and say, wow. All of a sudden, they open up his suitcase. Guess what it is? Five bucks. Thanks for watching Deal or No Deal. Five bucks. Matters what we believe in or we'll lose the reward. Matters what we believe in. Can't just believe in anything. You must believe, he says, that I am he. It is not just faith itself that saves. It's the object 
of our faith that saves us. Our faith doesn't save us. It's what we believe and trust in that saves us, right? So we have to believe, he says, that I am he. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What do you mean, I am he? That's a very specific thing that Jesus is saying. And maybe, maybe in the ears of the Israelites, they might go, oh, wait, I remember that. But maybe like, like the other thing that Jesus said, maybe they don't get it. Maybe you today don't understand. Well, what's the big deal? I am he. That's kind of weird. What about I am he? Guys, Isaiah 43, this long passage where, where Yahweh is communicating through the prophet Isaiah and reinforcing who he is as their creator, as their redeemer, as their savior, as, as the only God. What does he say? Let's look there. Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord. Besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, in the ships in which they rejoice. Verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. When Jesus says, unless you believe that I am He, He's saying, that's me. Isaiah 43. Unless you believe that I am your Creator, that I made you, Unless you believe that I am your redeemer, that I took you out of Egypt and brought you into the promised land with a powerful outstretched arm and set you free from the oppression of slavery. Unless you believe that I am your king, in which you must submit to, unless you believe that I am God, the only God, unless you believe that I am alone, the savior of your, you from your sins. Unless you believe that I am all of that, you will die in your sins. It's not just, I believe that Jesus loves me. It's not just, I believe that Jesus died. It's not just, I believe that Jesus is God. It's, I believe that Jesus is that God. That covenant-keeping, faithful, redeemer, creator. He's all of it. Jesus. Can't. Faith is simple. Again, I, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to complicate this. Like, oh, i got to know everything about No, we're never going to know everything about Jesus. It's inexhaustible. But our faith in him must be specific for who he has revealed himself to be. Not just our own version of Jesus, which we're going to talk about in a minute, that we make up. No, the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of the Old Testament, 
the totality. He's claiming to be Yahweh. He's claiming to be Lord. We must see him as such, or we die in our sins. And what do we mean by faith? I think that's important because even that's tossed around. It's not just mental assent. It's not just a nod that says, yeah, I believe that is true. There's something very radical that happens in the deepest part of us when we believe that Jesus is he. When we believe it, we rely on it, we trust in it, we have confidence in it, our hope is in it, all of us, in all of him. Maybe a, a good way to illustrate this is a story from Thomas Chalmers. He was explaining what faith is to a woman. He was getting frustrated because she wasn't getting it, just like many of us, like me, I don't seem to get it, right? So he finally left where he was, and he, he exited out of her backyard, and he went through a, a fence, and he came to a, a small river, and he was by a bridge. And he came to the bridge, and he took a step on the bridge, and, and then he shied away. And then he went to go across it again, he took a step on, a couple steps, but then he came back quick. And the lady looked at him and said, what are you doing? In order to cross the bridge, you've got to lean all of yourself onto the bridge. Lean all under the bridge and go ahead. And Chalmers then shouted back to her, Ah, you man, you should lean all, your all, on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's what faith is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a leaning all on Jesus Christ. All of us. If this bridge gives out, I'm toast. But I'm trusting in Christ to the extent that I'm giving all of me. And I'm moving forward. I'm leaning all on the Savior. Joel Beek says this, The one who has faith leans all on the Savior. The believer throws all his weight on Christ, trusting him fully for salvation and forgiveness of sin. Are you leaning all on him for who he is? You just giving him a part of who you are? A portion of your life? Are you only leaning on him when, when, when you need something from him? Are you only leaning on him when, he, when, when you need bread? Are you leaning all on you? Your resources, your relationship, your identity, your purpose. That's what genuine faith is. We lean all of us on him. In order to be saved. We put no confidence in anything else. In and of ourselves. Or anything out there that would be a, 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 um, an imposter to who he is. We lean all on him. So heed Christ's warning by trusting in Christ's person. That's all I want you to get today. It's a heavy gift today. It's a sharp gift. So heed the warning. But do so by trusting in his person, who he is. Trust in him. Do not go through the next couple days of Christmas just opening up presents, eating food, laughing with others without really embracing what Christmas is all about. Jesus, trusting in him. Receiving the assurance that you are escaping human's greatest problem, death caused by sin. And understand this, don't wait till next Christmas. 
Time is going out. The window is closing. Heed the warning by trusting in Christ's person today. And last, he goes on to uh, correct our confusion about who he truly is. Verse 25, they ask him, who are you? And I'm going to summarize because we only have so much time and we're always feeling like we're scratching the surface here. But bottom line, Jesus goes on to say, just what I've told you from the beginning. It's not the first time we've talked about this. I have much to say about you, much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, what you have, I'm sorry, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Here's the bottom line. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one sent from the Father who speaks and acts on behalf of the Father. If I could summarize this, I would simply say this. Jesus has come from the Father, sent by the Father, right? From the Father to speak on behalf of the Father. Right? I'm only seeing, uh, I'm only speaking and teaching things that I've heard from him. He's true, and everything I'm saying is simply what I heard from him. So he's speaking on behalf of the Father. And then he goes on to talk about, I'm only doing what I've heard from him, right? I'm only doing what he's told me to do. Everything that I do pleases him. So he's talking about his, what he's teaching and what he's doing. It's all a representation of the Father because he's come from the Father for that very task. He's come to the Father for that very task. And so he tells them straight up, this is who I am. I am the Father's representative in the world. I am his messenger and I am bringing about his will. That's who I am. And then he goes on to say something uh, just that is often quoted. He actually says it in verse 28. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that what? I am He. There it is again. What will be all these signs in John? Right? Jesus is giving signs. What, what is the sign that, that really reveals that he is that creator, redeemer, saving God of Isaiah 43. What is it that really reveals it in its most poignant form? It is nothing more, nothing less than the crucifixion. And that just seems so odd to us. But that in that moment, when Jesus lifted up from the earth, it's the same word from Isaiah 52, 13. My Savior will act wisely. He will be lifted up. And then we go on to see that suffering servant song where he is bruised and crushed and slaughtered, right? When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. When I'm lifting up from the earth, what does he say? Then you will know that I am he. Then you will know that I am he. If you do not see Jesus as Savior, Creator, Redeemer, and King on the cross of Calvary, you will not see Him anywhere as such. It may not make sense logically to us, but that is the moment where He is glorified, right? Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. His glory, His identity, His plan, His love, His mercy, His strength, even in that weak moment, 
his strength, his, his humility, his meekness, his sufficiency, his authority, his faithfulness, his grace is seen most poignantly when he hangs on a cross for you and me to save us from our sins. That's where you will know that I am he. You say, well, I'm not really sure. If you're not sure, look to the cross, that unique saving event. And if you look there, you will see the totality that he is, in fact, the fulfillment of Isaiah 43. He is, in fact, the Savior King who redeems us and sets us free from the oppression and bondage of death that is caused by sin. That's where you'll see it. That's the sign that he is indeed the Messiah, that he is indeed the Savior of the world, the crucifixion. And guess what? That is where we who know and trust Jesus Christ, that's how we came to him. In that moment, at the base of that cross, that's when we trusted him, isn't it? When we came face to face with the scandalous, substitution, sacrificial death of Jesus in our place. Where else did we come to Christ to know him and trust him than at the base of that lumber? That's where we know Christ. That's where we know, yes, he is God. Yes, he sets me free. Yes, he loves me. Yes, he knows me. Yes, he made me. Yes, he gives me all that I need. I never have to be concerned about God's acceptance of me because of that. I don't have to die in my sin anymore because Jesus died for my sin there. Faith in him that I am he. Ah, that's the escape. That's the escape. So heed the warning by trusting, trusting in Christ's person. Can you do that today? First time, there's parts of your life where you are so, my life, I look in the mirror and go, do I trust Jesus? I think so. Yes, I do, but sometimes I don't. So even us as Christians, we wrestle with unbelief. We fight against it. And, and this is not just for someone far from God. This, is some, this, this warning is good for us in Christ who know him and have trusted him. Because unbelief, it just works its way into our living. It affects how we approach our jobs and our relationships. So this warning is a gift today. There's no... There's no wonder at Christmas without warning. It highlights it. There's no comfort without, without confrontation. Oh, Christian, hear these words. These are gifts, warnings, confrontations, corrections, yes, but gifts. Warnings are gifts. When I watch my three-year-old son, and I'll never forget it, running from my yard into the road while some high school kid in his 82 Accord is flying down the street. And I yell, silence! And he stops and he comes back. I realize that a warning is a gift. A warning's a gift. When my Wife says to me, Mike, 
you're being harsh with me. And she confronts my harshness. Guess what? That confrontation has a way of bringing me back. Of opening my eyes to see how poorly I'm treating her. And brings me back into relationship. Confrontations are gifts. They're not all bad. They're gifts. Corrections, right? Like a teacher who, who wants their students to grow. And they, uh, red, red pen or not, okay? Cross off the thing and write comments. Rethink this. Try again. You say, well, that's not very nice. Correct my, put red pen on my paper. Haven't you watched Sesame Street? You're supposed to, like, make me feel good inside. How dare you challenge my self-esteem? How do you know it's right? How do you know it's wrong? Because it's wrong? No, but when, when properly administered out of loving relationship, you're wrong, bro. You don't see the whole picture. Rethink this and come back. Guess what happens? Growth. Growth. Corrections are gifts. So don't see this as a, a slap in the face two days before Christmas. See this as um, uh, another angle at understanding and appropriating the gospel. It's another angle. It's a gift. It's a gift to you today. Know Jesus for who he truly is. That's what we want. That's what this series is all about. Know Jesus as the sent one. right? Know him for who he is. He's God, he's Savior, Redeemer. And then trust him. You won't trust him if you don't know him. But here he has revealed himself. Here he has revealed himself. Do you trust him? Do you lean all of yourself on Christ? Maybe today for the first time you say yes. If that's true in your heart, please tell me after the service. I want to know about that. Maybe you're just doing time with God and the Spirit is, a, is, is opening your eyes to see the superficial nature of your faith. That Jesus loves me and he died for me and that's enough. Maybe he wants to deepen your knowledge and thus heighten your trust. Deepen your trust. Trust in Jesus. Lean all on him. Heed Christ's warning today by trusting in Christ's person. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this word is a heavy one. This word is sharp. Leaves us awkward, uncomfortable. Looking inward to see the state of our heart before you. Coming face to face with something we like to ignore. Death caused by sin. Today we praise you for the warning. We praise you for the confrontation. We praise you for the correction. Because in these things we see your grace at work. What a gracious word this is for us. It leads us to where we need to go. 
It calls us. It beckons us. It provides the way of escape. And that way is Jesus Christ. It's God, Creator, Redeemer, Savior, and King. All glory be to Him. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Stand and respond. I see